Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of War Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt Filipovitz. Matt, what's going on? Bill, I am having a lovely evening. I made some delicious fried chicken for dinner, Ooh. and I am ready to talk about Penn State's 2020 offensive signing class. Well, I think the people are going to want to know how you made your fried chicken. All right. So what I do is – so I'm very – my big thing for Christmas every year is I like to get little household kitchen items that I could probably go buy at Target for like $8. Uh, two years ago, it was a toaster. Shout out Toast with the logo. Uh, last year, it was a pizza cutter. And this year, it was, a, it was a meat tenderizer. And I couldn't take it in my carry-on. I tweeted at TSA, and, and they said I couldn't take it. And then I tweeted back at them and asked them if they thought Penn State would win the Cotton Bowl. And they never responded to that tweet. <laughs> so that was really upsetting. Um, but I, I did get it shipped down here. Uh, so I tender I tenderized the meat um, as you do, seasoned it a little bit, put it in an egg wash. Um, from there it was you know the flour, the breadcrumbs. Um, then I, I brought some olive oil to a nice bubble in the uh, in a little pan, and then I uh, and then I just cooked it up right there, and it was very solid. Very happy with it. Hi Matt, meat tenderizers are are allowed and must be packed. In, uh, must be checked packed in checked bags. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, I fly, I fly cheap airlines, so I don't get a check bag. Yeah. So, what were you? Uh, did, did you do butter? Did you do buttermilk overnight? Did you just dredge it and fry it up? Like, what are we talking about here? I just, I just dredged it and fried it up. Oh, nice, nice. Well, did you, did you look up that tweet I had to TSA? I did. Yeah, I'm still sad they didn't respond. And then, yeah, then <laughs> thanks TSA. Do you think Penn State? Well, I, I like to think t- TSA probably uh, had it had its ducks in a row when it comes when it came to Penn State and the Cotton Bowl. Uh, we're a little bit past the Cotton Bowl now. Uh, Friday, not Friday, uh, Wednesday served as National Signing Day. Uh, as we mentioned, the fake one. The well, no, this is technically the real one. The fake one is the one in December. Yeah, but this one had like nobody really signed. Oh, right. that's not exactly true. But for Penn State, no one really signed. Right, it. Penn State kept it. Uh, uh, Penn State was able to get everyone on board, all twenty-seven players in this class. Back in December, signing their letters of intent, uh, we did a podcast uh, earlier in this. Well, we did it at the end of last week. Went up earlier in this week about uh, Penn State's defensive class with myself and uh, the other Matt at the site. We have myself and the evil Matt. The evil Matt. Yes, uh, we. If you know, you know. If you don't, you will. Uh, if you. You want to listen to that? Go back and find it on all of our various podcasting platforms. Now we're going to talk a little bit about Penn State's offensive class. Uh, solid class, really heavy in skill position talent, Matt. And as I look through the players that Penn State got, like that's the thing that jumps off the page. I think Penn State's offense got a lot faster, a lot more skilled, and as college football kind of moves towards needing to outscore teams, I think Penn State made it a point to go out and get players on the perimeter who are going to help them accomplish that goal. Yeah, I think there's two words you can use to describe the class, and it's it's potential, which I see seems like is always the theme this time of year, and speed. Uh, there's a lot of speed on on this class uh, between running back, receiver, and tight end. There, there's a lot of talent. As the game kind of becomes more positionless and pretty much if you're a skill player, skill player, you have to be a pass catcher, I think there's a lot of really intriguing talent they brought in in this class. Sorry, you said that as uh, it came out. So we're recording this on Wednesday night, and as 
uh, most of you probably know my job is basketball. And Matt, did you just see uh, that Justice Winslow is getting moved in the Andre Iguodala trade? That is, um, uh, we'll we'll talk about that after, but very interesting. Uh, Neither here nor there. Uh, Yeah, like Matt said, this is just kind of the class that I think Penn State needed uh, after what happened last season as you look through the Nittany Lion roster. On offense, the areas where they're really strong are along the offensive line. They have a ton of talent there, and they brought in a lot of guys who I think are going to be good, like have the potential to be good potential starters as their careers go on, but they're going to need a little bit of work. Uh, Tight end, they need bodies. They were able to get a couple of bodies there. Wide receiver, Lord knows Penn State had some issues at wide receiver uh, in this past Uh, this past season, and it got a major influx of talent, ton of talent at running back, and they got another quarterback to get into that room and kind of compete. You know, Penn State's thing is they like to have uh, another quarterback, I mean, a quarterback in every class. Uh, And I think that's kind of the place we're going to start. Nittany Lions quarterback in this class, uh, they went to a place they don't normally go, Uh, went out to Bishop Gorman High School in Las Vegas, Nevada, and got Micah Bowens, a 6-foot, 195-pound signal caller, three-star recruit on 24-7's composite, number 416 recruit nationally. Uh, Matt, it's really hard to be a college quarterback, and I see the skills in Bowens, like, he looks like he could throw the ball pretty well. He looks like he's a fairly accurate passer. He's a really mobile guy. He seems like he fits the archetype of quarterback that Penn State wants, but I think anytime you're talking about a quarterback and it's not a blue-chip, five-star kind of kid, you almost have to assume that they're going to face a major uphill battle to get onto the field. Yeah, but Bowen's really intriguing as a prospect. Um, first of all, I can't name the last time Penn State signed a prospect from Nevada. Can you? Or like anywhere in like that general southeastern, southwestern uh, region? Uh, I mean, Coa Farmer, Farmer yeah. out in California. That's like the well, last I'm one. I'm sure I we're missing a of. guy or two, but Coa yeah, Farmer for sure. sticks out. Uh, but, but as Penn State uh, and recruiting as a whole becomes more of a national game, I think getting uh, landing a guy at a big program that's produced um, Mr. Tate Martell, who was in the same city as the Super Bowl. So that's a pretty big deal. <laughs> Um, from the same high school as him. So getting into a a pretty big powerhouse on that side of the country, I think is, is pretty important. We don't know if it's going to lead to that much. Um, but, but it's a good place to start. Uh, but, but the big thing about Bowen is he has, he has a really big arm and he's a really athletic kid. Um, pretty similar to what we have out of Will Levis. Um, he's not as big as Levis and his arm probably doesn't have the same level of strength. Um, but he probably is a little bit more athletic. His accuracy does need a little bit of work, and I think that's a really, really great thing about when he's coming into the program because they're going to have four scholarship co- quarterbacks who have already had their red shirt, like ready to go. So they're going to have four guys who, who they can – not that they're ready, but they'll be able to throw in there and not worry about losing a year of eligibility You know, if certain things bounce certain ways with injuries. So he can come along really as slowly as he needs to. And, you know, he, he made a lot of throws in high school that he's really just not going to be able to make at this level. So I, I think it's going to be a really interesting development process for him. Uh, it, he probably won't see the field until, I guess, what it would it be, 2022 at the earliest. But he's a guy they can really take their time with because there is a lot of potential there. But it, it's going to take a, a little bit of development, I think, before he's really 
polished, polished enough of a passer to make it in the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, the best case scenario for him uh, is that Sean Clifford has a good redshirt junior year and then he sticks around for his redshirt senior year. Bowens gets that time to develop and in that time he's able to he, he's able to figure some stuff out that puts him ahead of, you know, if I mean, if Clifford's around for the 2021 season, Will Levis is probably gone. But he's able to get ahead of uh, a Michael Johnson Jr. or Daquan Roberson. He's able to fend off whoever Penn State brings into the class of 2021. Like, I hate, to, like, I hate framing it this way because I don't like making it sound like uh, I don't believe in a kid. Like, I think he's not going to make it work but to be a, co- a college quarterback like that's really hard it's the one position on the field where coaches really cannot ever rotate ever get guys additional snaps and unless he's able to get, and it's totally possible he's able to do this unless he's able to get in uh you know take to the program really quickly refine some tool refine some things that need refining and get to a point where he can get onto the field it's hard to see a path for him playing anytime soon, but like, I don't think that's necessarily a problem, Matt. Like, if you're telling me that the three-star quarterback from the other side of the country needs to come over here and take at least two or three years before he sees the field, like, okay, yeah, I'm totally fine with that. And it's worth the investment in the kid to hope that he's able to put it all together by that point and make an impact on the field. Yeah, uh, he's going to take time, like I said. But I think we know the staff wants to take a quarterback in every single class. And with the way they've stocked up talent and with what we think the 2021 class can be, this was a great opportunity to take one of those riskier chances here. Because Bowen's upside is fantastic. He's a great athlete. Again, he has that big arm. Um, But you kind of understand that he's sandwiched in between a class that brought in two blue chip quarterbacks and uh, the 2021 class, which has Penn State in a really good spot for some pretty talented signal callers. So it's a big risk for them, but it also has a very big payoff in giving him a scholarship. Yeah, and it's funny because you normally don't think of quarterback uh, as a risk-reward position, like you think of one where you don't necessarily want to swing for the fences, but with what Penn State has in the pipeline there, they could afford to take a little bit more of a chance on a kid like Bowens, a position where Penn State didn't necessarily have to take chances because they got two really, really, really good football players as running back. Uh, Nittany Lions brought in two guys uh, who play that position, both of them out of Florida, Jawan Sider and... Uh, Earned himself a paycheck, uh, and then shout so, out, shout out to Florida, shout out to Florida. I like to think I helped a little bit by moving down here. Yeah, and moving down here after uh, these two were already complete with their uh, with their high school <laughs> education. No, I guess that's not true. So no, maybe I, I helped. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. when I was down here uh, in March, when I went down to Philly spring training, I did see a family with Penn State gear on, and maybe maybe that's when maybe they saw me. Maybe that was one of them. I don't know. It was at <laughs> Outback. <laughs> What'd you get? Um, no, it wasn't. It was at Texas Roadhouse, which ironically I live pretty close to now. Um, all right. So I really like like Bloomin' Onions and Texas Roadhouse has a version called the, no, with Longhorn, excuse me. Longhorn has a version called the Texas Tunyon, which is fantastic. So I got a <laughs> Texas Tunyon 
and then probably like a burger. <laughs> well, uh, hope there's a there is a isn't there a Long, yeah there's a Longhorn State College so hopefully uh, they they are able to come up from Florida these two young men Kaziah Holmes a four star uh, out of Cocoa Florida the number one hundred and eighty six recruit nationally five eleven and a half one hundred and seventy nine pounds. Uh, he is an early enrollee. He is on campus right now. Going to wait a little bit to get another person on the other running back on campus. That's Kayvon Lee, a six foot, 210 pound running back, uh, four star number 280 nationally from Clearwater, Florida. And Matt, I don't want to necessarily, uh, compare him to these two because I don't want to make, to make it sound like. I have those kinds of the expectations for them to do what we saw out of these two last year. But it is kind of a Noah Kane, I mean, different kinds of players, but kind of Noah Kane, Devin Ford esque in that Lee's coming in big, tough, physical running back, uh, able to, you know, he's kind of the workhorse uh, type of kid. And then Kaziah Holmes comes in, he's the Devin Ford, he's the home run hitter. That's a balance that I think Penn State really is going to like having. And like we've seen, they like being able to go into their backfield and show off what they have back there. They, the, Journey Brown wasn't a five star, three, four or five star. He's starting to play like one, though. Noah Cannon and Devin Ford both showed flashes of being four star recruits. This is just even more talent at a position where Penn State didn't necessarily need more talent, but if there's one thing that I know, you can never have too many good running backs, and Penn State just got two more. Yeah, I, I would describe uh, Kevon Lee as kind of a mix between Journey Brown and Noah Kane. Uh, he, I don't think he's quite as physical of a runner, and he's definitely not uh, as Noah Kane, and he's definitely not as fast as Journey Brown. Um, but he is pretty shifty, and he, if you watch his his highlight tape, he's eternally leaning forward. Like before, he he almost jump off, jumps off sides on pretty much every play because that's how far forward he's leaning. Um, so a really intriguing prospect, I think, of the two, Kazea Holmes. I mean, he is an early enrollee, is probably more likely to see early playing time. Um, first of all, Kazea Holmes has a 16 minute highlight tape. That's <laughs> that's fantastic. Like usually, highlight tapes are like five to eight like if you get up into like 11 you're like all right we get it like you're good and he has 16 so he's confident enough that he he's good enough to to warrant 16 minutes worth of highlights um and he's he's florida fast it's one thing to look fast no no disrespect to, to pennsylvania high school football i myself was a bench warmer in high school pennsylvania high school football but it, it's a whole different ball game down here in florida and he makes a lot of those guys look slow uh, and I think that really makes him a pretty mature runner. He's really patient behind blockers, I think, because he knows he can outrun a lot of people. So he can kind of afford to wait for things to develop. And then he, once, he, once he hits that hole, he's gone. Um, and, and with the news of Rookie Slade's transfer uh, or entrance to the transfer portal a little earlier today, I think he could be a guy we see work into the rotation pretty quickly, uh, as opposed to Lee, who could probably get some reps, but... I think is more likely to uh, to be in line for a bigger role a couple years down the road. Yeah, I mean, it certainly is going to help Lee uh, that at six foot two hundred and ten pounds. That that's just not something that you see uh, out of high school running backs as they're coming to college. I mean, Noah Kane was five ten, two hundred and eight pounds. So 
Wee's going to have some size and some physicality to him. And I, like, I just love the thought because we've seen Penn State can some, like, it, it can so, it sometimes have problems being able to pick up two, three, four yards on the ground when it needs to pick up, you know, put your head down and grind out those couple of yards. Uh, a lot of that's obviously down to offensive line play, but being able to have the kind of physical running back that makes those yards not as difficult, that helps. And I think Penn State was able to get a guy like that in Lee. And then like you said, Holmes just has a different kind of speed. Uh, you can ne- never have enough speed, especially with, I mean, I hate having to view so much of Penn State football in this capacity, but the the team is going to be competing against Ohio State for the foreseeable future, and Ohio State is a program that understands you need to get speed. The more that Penn State can get, the better it is, and I think getting a guy like Holmes in, uh, like that's that's an invaluable asset, and I liked how you mentioned how he has that – Speed a 16-minute highlight tape? Um, a 16-minute highlight tape, but the kind of speed that makes him stick out uh, in a in one of the most talent-rich, if not the most talent-rich, high school uh, col- uh, high school football state in all of uh, America. Like, if you are able to look like a superstar in Florida, it, it stands to reason you're going to be able to do some really good things once you get to the college level and. Holmes with how he's rolling early with how they're going to kind of need uh, just it, they're going to want that fourth option I think now that Ricky Slade is gone you get Holmes in there and if he can pick up the stuff that is hard for young running backs to pick up like I think there's a like you mentioned Matt and this is a thing that I'm going to get you agree with, I see a very very easy path for Keziah Holmes to get on the field Right away, I don't know if they burn his red shirt or not, but he seems like a guy that can I'll help his it. team sooner rather than later. I think they'll burn his red shirt. I'll say it right now. I think he's going to be a green light. I think he's. I think with how run heavy Kirk's offense has been in the past, I think they understand that people are going to be banged up and they're going to want four guys. So I, I, I would, I would say with a fair amount of confidence right now that I think he's going to be a green light. Makes sense. And then where where do you stand on Lee? Because I, I think that he's a guy – I would not be surprised to see them take uh, advantage of the redshirt rule with him. Yeah, it, it, it's hard to warrant burning a redshirt um, to be the fifth guy probably. Uh, I We saw it just happen with Lance Dixon. I, I know he played linebacker, but Lance Dixon was a guy with a lot of talent um, that was a green light to start the year, um, but there just weren't enough reps to go around. So I, I think he falls into like the offensive version of him. Uh, still a guy who I think is going to be very productive, and I, I think being able to add a bit – he's already big, but to add some more weight and add some more speed, I think he could be a really big piece in 2021 and 2022 and 2023 for, for a good couple of years going forward just with how different of a back he is. Like uh, He is kind of a Noah Kane type, but he is a hybrid. But if you can have a second bowling ball on your roster, you're going to want it. As for the position where Penn State might not be, uh, you know, patience might not necessarily uh, be rewarded, that would be wide receiver, a position that has been a bit of a problem spot for Penn State over the last couple of years. New uh, new running back, uh, not running backs, wide receivers coach coming in, Taylor Stubblefield is going to be taking over uh, for Gerard Parker, who is now the offense coordinator at West Virginia, and He's going to be working with 
a whole lot of young dudes. Uh, five kids in this class, including one Juco, uh, named the early enrollees are Keandre Lambert, four-star, 204 nationally, 6'1", 176 pounds from Norfolk, Virginia. And then Jaden Dotton, four-star, number 295 nationally, 6'3", 170 pounds from Suffield, Connecticut. Coming a little bit later in the year are going to be Parker Washington, four-star, 275 nationally, 5'10", 201 pounds from Richmond, Texas. Uh, Malik Mega, three-star, 615. Uh, the best name in this class. I, I won't say nationally because he's from Canada, but in the class, uh, 6'4", 195 from Montreal. And then the Juco kid, uh, three-star, Number 39 nationally in the JUCO rankings, Norval Black, 6'1 and a half, 167 pounds from Lackawanna College. Uh, the thing that makes me so happy with this class, Matt, above the fact that, you know, there's some interesting raw talent, uh, there are some guys who seem like they have pretty high floors, all that stuff, I'm just happy in the raw numbers here because. It's almost like uh, the Sam Hinkie philosophy on second rounders. Like as many bites of the apple as you can take, you want that. And at this position that has been such an issue for Penn State, as many bites of the apple they could take at getting, you know, one or two starters and then another one or two depth guys, overjoyed at the thought of that. Yeah, I really thought you were going to say just only take centers. Shout out Sam Hinkie in the process. Forever. Never forget when you took like five centers in four years. That was hysterical. Yeah, man. Listen, um, sometimes you need to draft Nerlens Noel and then Julio Okafor because you don't get any uh, you don't get any clearance to draft Kristaps Porzingis and then Joel Embiid and then the fourth center you take Ben Simmons. Do you remember Nerlens Noel's jacket from that draft night? I do. Didn't it have his Kentucky jersey on the inside. He did, and there was a rumor that the other uh, – he only opened one side of it. The other side apparently had the Cleveland Cavaliers um, <laughs> in it. In so I have no idea if that – I read well, that a long time but, ago, and I, I think about it all the time, that he got that custom made and that he didn't get drafted by that team. Well, here's the thing. Like, we make fun of Hinky for all the centers that he put on the roster, but Elton Brand signed 700 centers to be on the roster. So neither here nor there. Uh, let's get back to talking about wide receivers for a second. Yes. Again, as many bites of the apple as they can take. Uh, I think there is talent in this receiver room right now. Uh, Jahan Dotson, Daniel George, John Dunmore are guys that I'm pretty high on. Uh, but the fact John that Dunmore, Hive. John Dunmore, let's go. The fact that they are able to add to that, a, you know, five more names is something that I don't know how that's going to pay off right away. But I think that it's it is a good thing to just have this many potential options on the, uh, you, you know, on the wide receiver depth chart. Yeah, you need numbers and skill positions are so hit or miss. Um, so I, I think the fact that they were able to go out there and get some guys who they think can make an immediate impact and some guys that they view as, as more project type guys it is really big. So I'll kind of break this up um, by the early enrollees. Um, I'll do Black as his own thing because he's a Juco guy and I'll do the other two. My favorite receiver in this group has to be Jaden Dotton. I think he is so polished for a young receiver. He, he's such a crisp route runner, which is such a hard skill to get down for a young receiver. He has great hands and really good speed, but he can also go up and get it, um, which which Penn State really needs a go up and get it guy. 
Um, he's good at adjusting to the football. He's an early enrollee. I think he could be on the Jahan Dotson route, but they opt to burn his red shirt a little bit earlier. I, I think he has what I view as the hardest part of adjusting to the college game. And, and that's just getting your routes down, you know, understanding the concepts. He seems like a, just like a very smart player from his film. So I think he's a guy w- with a really high ceiling. Um, as for Keandre Lambert, um, did I, did I not say his name correctly? Did I miss out? Or did I, uh, did I say someone else is an early enrollee? No, you, you, you got, I was just saying the scouting report that you just gave, like that sounds like, the report that everyone says for Lambert. So I'm interested. No, I, I mean that about Dotton. I am a thousand percent on here. I, I, I love Dotton's film. I, I know Lambert's very similar, but just watching Dotton, I think just his ability to run routes is something that it is. I am very impressed with it. It seemed very Deshaun Hamilton to me. I know he's kind of viewed as a third guy behind Keandre and Parker Washington, but I, I'm very, I'm very high on him. Um, and then moving on to Keandre Lambert while we're here. I think he's the most athletic receiver in this class. Um, he's also has really good hands and is a really solid route runner uh, and, and a guy who I think can also make a really quick impact. He probably has a higher ceiling than w- what I think Dotton has, but I think Dotton has a higher floor just because I think Dotton can make a much earlier impact. What are you thinking about the early release? Yeah, I, I, I'm going to steal a line from our pal Sean Fitz. He wrote this back in his uh, signing day superlatives. Uh, Lambert put up a ridiculous 3.83 second short shuttle at the opening finals over the summer. That would be a top 10 all-time, top 10 time all-time at the NFL Combine. Just two players broke the four-second barrier at this year's Combine. Um, The fact that, like, if you're going to be able to get open, it's usually because you're a pretty agile guy to one extent or another. And the fact that Penn, like that's just been something that Penn State's been lacking. It's been lacking that guy who was able to shake a defensive back, get a little bit of separation, and not have to make a contested catch. If Lambert can step in and he can do that right away, you know, add a little bit of physicality to, uh, you know, add a little bit of size to his frame, uh, 6'1", 176, you obviously want to see a little bit more beef there. Uh I'm saying with uh, Dotton, 6'3", 170. You get them into the weight room. You get them to a place where they can contribute physically. And These are two guys. With Penn State's uh, issues at receiver, uh, I don't know what we're going... Really, the entire receiver room is question marks outside of Jahan Dotson. Even then, he's been a pretty nice second option. We haven't seen him be the guy. So there are going to be opportunities for these two to step in uh, and impress during uh, spring ball. And I think everybody, even the returning guys, are on equal playing field yeah. just because there's a new offensive coordinator and a new position coach. Right. So th- there's really no bias going in. It, it, it's really what can you offer me now is mm-hmm. I think how a lot of them are going to be viewed. And I think Dotson will get a little bit of a leg up just because he's the guy who has been able to produce. Uh, Daniel George, the, he he seemed like he was having some confidence issues uh, just with how he wasn't able to hold on to the ball. And uh, if, you know, a few times during this year, uh, that horrible penalty that went against him in the, uh, in the Minnesota game, that sort of thing. And then like Mac Hippenhammer hasn't, I think he may have one catch in his time here. Cam Sullivan Brown haven't seen much out of him. John Dunmore, TJ Jones. We don't 
really know what they are as receivers quite yet. So there, there is space for one or two of these for one or two of these early enrollees to come out and make some kind of an impact right away and get onto the field, be able to contribute, do that those kinds of things for a Penn State team that just needs that at that position. Moving on to the guys who are going to be coming in a little bit later in the year, uh, Parker Washington, uh, four-star, number 275 nationally, 510, 201 from Richmond, Texas. Uh, wait, I did this part already. Sorry, I'm getting, I, I'm just getting really excited because I like talking about Parker Washington. Uh, he's a guy who I think if he was able to get on campus right away, he would be right there with that John Dunmore, Daniel George type of guy because he is just as polished. I don't know what his ceiling is. I don't know how high his ceiling is, but I can guess that his floor is really, really, really high. And I think that he's the kind of guy, Matt, who once he steps onto campus – as long as he is able to get caught up to the speed of the game, which I have all the faith that he's going to be able to, I can see him being a guy that contributes right away and is a contributor for three, four years in this program. Yeah, that's really easy to see with Parker Washington. I know a lot of people, especially on our site, love Parker Washington, and I like him a lot. I think he does everything well. He's he's very fast. He has great hands. He can stretch he can stretch it down the field. I think him not early enrolling isn't going to be all that much of a deterrent from him getting on the field quickly because I think he's that talented. And, and like I said, if he's able to come in there and show that yeah, I'm ready or even if I'm not, I'm pretty darn close and and I'm only going to get better with these, you know, reps against some some guys in the non-con, I think he could quickly climb up that depth chart and, and could see starting level, you know, snap counts by mid season. Yeah. And you just want, like you just want reliability. And to me, he seems like, he seems like the safest bet in this class to be a reliable receiver right away. Yeah, I would, I would absolutely agree on that one. And then with the other two dudes in this class, uh, mega is, he is a project, but, Anytime you can take a chance on a guy who is 6'4", 195, and runs a 4'4", you have to do that. Um, I don't know if he'll ever put it together, but I know that if you're going to get a ball of clay, this is the kind of ball of clay that you want. And the Norval Black, uh, productive Juco kid, hopefully he is able to step onto the field and uh, you, you know give Penn State some much-needed reps, but... Uh, again, it's not that I'm writing him off or anything like that. It's just I, I'm always a little bit more skeptical of JUCO kids, so I'm going to be a little skeptical of Black's ability to get into this program and make something happen. But again, he's a bite at the apple, and that's all you really want out of these kinds of guys. What do you think about the final two uh, receiving this cloud, Matt? Uh, Malik Mega is going to be a project. Um, he's coming over from from Montreal. That's a big adjustment. So I, I wouldn't expect to see him until about 2022. Um, but he, if he can put it all together, he's going to be a really, really fantastic receiver. Um, regardless, I think he, he's still three or four years away from, I think, really seeing the field with any kind of regularity. And if if Kazaya Holmes' 16-minute highlight tape wasn't enough, Norval Black's is a minute and like 56 seconds. So the complete opposite of that. Um, so he, he's a major unknown. He got his offer w when he was at a, a Penn state camp. 
Um, but but by at large, all we really know about him is that he's a burner. He he's does a really he's really fast. He does a good job at getting past corners. So uh, again, an, another bite at the apple. I think a guy who can help them stretch the field. But those two are two really big question marks. And if they hit, great. And if not, they're going to be really, really great depth pieces uh, for a position group that really needs them right now. Moving on uh, to tight end, a very interesting uh, part of this Penn State class because it features in terms of star ratings, in terms of player ratings, all that, the best offensive player that Penn State got in this class, that would be Theo Johnson. Uh, another Canadian, uh, 6'6", 242, four-star number 71 recruit in the class from lovely Windsor, Ontario, and also at tight end is Tyler Warren, three-star, 552 nationally, 6'6", 235 from Mechanicsville, Virginia. Uh, yeah, I, well, I think Johnson's going to be really good. Uh, we know he suffered an injury at, uh, I believe, the Under Armour All-American game. All I, believe indi- you, I believe you're right. Yeah, all indications are that he's going to be okay. Like, I haven't heard or seen or read anything to uh, imply otherwise. And last night, he posted a picture on Twitter of himself with Tyler Bowen and the rest of Penn State's wide receivers. He did not, I believe what they said at the open at the opening was he had his arm in a sling and he didn't have that in this picture that got posted, which obviously small sample size, but you'll, uh, you'll take any positive you can get. Uh, he didn't have his arm in a sling when he got to campus either in, yeah. in that welcome photo. So it looks like it was something totally minor or maybe even just precautionary yeah. uh, to have his arm in that sling. So great sign. Yeah. yeah, And that's good because Penn state's wide res- uh, tight end group is a bit strange. I would say, uh, not just because there's a guy with the last name Strange in it. I did that on accident. Uh, but it has Pat Fryer. They're very Fryermuth. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, there is, they have the best tight end in college football in Pat Fryermuth. And then it's just a whole lot of question marks. We don't really know what Zach Koontz is yet. We don't know what Brenton Strange is yet. So there is a pathway if Tyler Johnson, Theo uh, Johnson, apologies, is healthy and he was able to get onto the field and he's able to show some things during spring ball. Like I very easily, even if he probably does need to bulk up a bit because he's a high school tight end coming into high, uh, college football and he weighs 242 pounds. There is very easily a pathway for him to get into a, get some playing time with this team. And even if he does do four games and then redshirt. I think we're going to see Theo Johnson this fall. Do you agree? It's very easy to Theo a situation where he gets on the field. That one was pretty good. No, I'm proud that was real one. bad. That was bad. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. Um, he was a he was basically a receiver in high school, and I think that's where he adds so much value in that he can be this ginormous downfield threat. Assuming the receivers just aren't ready yet or, or none of them step up. Theo gives them another shot at finding that guy. So I, I do think it's really easy to see him work his way into the field a lot. Um, I know a big worry for a lot of us um, with Kirk, with Kirk Shiraka's offense is he didn't really utilize the tight end that much. So it's really hard to imagine he's going to do a lot of two tight end sets like we saw last year. But still, I think he, Theo Getting to campus early and with the kind of receiver he is, a very Mike Gesicki-esque, not the best blocker, but, but can really go up and get it. 
I think he could easily carve out a role in this offense where, where he's able to b- play his four games and then just decide, yeah, we have to burn his red shirt. Well, I, on the Shiraka two tight end thing, I like I and how he just generally doesn't use tight ends. I mentioned this before. I think context is really important there. He has never had a tight end room with the talent that Penn State has in this tight end room. And as for the two tight ends thing last year, I mean, Penn State mostly did that out of necessity because no none of the receivers can catch the football. Like it, that's it true. Was, that's it was true. Just, that's a good like, point. The best use of personnel was having. Uh, Nick Bowers in as an offensive lineman who also caught passes every now and then because he gives you a little bit more in the running game and was able to free up Journey Brown, Noah Kane, Devin Ford, Ricky Slade. So I'm not concerned about the doesn't use tight ends thing. And a major reason why is because Ricky Ronnie left before Theo Johnson was committed and Penn State had to sell to Theo Johnson, listen, we're going to bring you here and use you in ways that makes it worth your while. And he committed to Penn State anyway over Georgia, over Michigan, over whatever other schools. So I'm optimistic about what's going to happen there. Tyler Warren, uh, very interesting kid. Matt has told the story in the past on the podcast about just how it seemed like it was impossible for any coaches to be able to get in touch with him. He commits to Penn State and then everything just kind of goes away like he didn't like the process of being recruited he wasn't a big camp kid but every time anyone has seen him they talk about him like he's just this freak of nature so he don't necessarily need him right away Uh, I think Penn State would uh, he he seems like a kid Penn State would like to take along a little bit more slowly I believe he was a high school quarterback because they just did to put your most physically imposing player back there thing but if you're telling me to, that they're going to have to develop the six six kid who's a freak of nature and weighs two hundred and thirty five pounds, like yeah, give that to me, Matt. Like I will happily uh, put that kid in the tight end room and see what ends up happening with him. Yeah, he was a high school quarterback who really didn't know how to throw. If you if you watch it, he's a lefty and his motion is is very weird. Um, but he can do everything else. Uh, a physicality won't be an issue for him. He he's a big imposing dude. They ran the option with him. He was in there on on punt blocks, trying to get after the punter. He's a really special athlete. And a really exciting thing about him, I think, is that nobody really knows anything about him. So for Penn State to land him, and then, like, like I said earlier in this podcast, sports, you know, basketball is becoming like it. You know, football is becoming more like it. It's becoming more positionless. And you just have to go out there and find athletes who can do a lot at a high level. And I think that that's Warren 101. I think he's going to take some time for him to really see the field, but give it two years. I think he could really carve out a nice role for himself. Um, even that's just on special teams, he could be a force on special teams for him, which is, you know, for, for what you want out of a guy like this to get pretty much anything that's productive for the team, even if it's outside of his position would be, would be great. Finally, uh, final position, position grouping of this class, offensive linemen, uh, kind of like receivers. Penn State just went out, got a bunch of dudes, uh, a lot of talented players, but guys who are going to need a bit of molding. One player on campus right now, uh, 6'4", 300-pound offensive guard, Nick Dawkins from lovely Allentown, Pennsylvania, Matt. Heck yes. He went to, he went to Parkland. He did. Um, which routinely beat my high school uh northampton pennsylvania shout out to the concrete kids 
um, routinely beat Northampton by the, an average score of like 75 to zero. We were really bad and they were really good. Dawkins, a three star recruit number 880 nationally and has uh, one heck of it. I think saying he is an athletic pedigree uh, is a bit of an understatement because his dad is the late great Daryl Dawkins, uh, formerly the Philadelphia 76ers. He's the one who is on campus right now. Uh, as for who will be joining him on campus, uh, that includes three-star, number 372 nationally, Jimmy Christ, a 6'7", 295-pound offensive tackle from Sterling, Virginia. Olu Fashanu, three-star, 400 nationally, 6'5", 320 pounds from Washington, D.C. Uh, Golden Israel Achumba, three-star, 422 nationally. He's 6'5", 320 pounds from Hyattsville, Maryland. And Ibrahim Traore, three-star, number 864 nationally, 6'5", 290 pounds from New York City. Uh, Matt, I think that the thing that we all need to perpetually remember about offensive line recruiting is that unless you are getting the bluest of the blue chip, offensive line recruiting tends to be a bit of a crapshoot. So kind of like what was the case with receiver, just the fact that Penn State's getting a bunch of guys in and you look at how big they are, 6'4", 300, 6'7", 295, 6'5", 320, 6'5", They're getting a whole lot of beef along that offensive line. And if one or two of them are able to turn into starters or, uh, you know, the Mike Miranda, Des Holmes role where they're getting a good amount of snaps as a sixth or seventh offensive lineman, more than I think you have to be more than happy with that. Yeah, it's tough to really know what you're getting because you can hide a lot of your mistakes at a lot of positions in football. You can't do it along the offensive line. It's going to be glaringly obvious if you're not doing your job. So I'll give like a quick little tidbit on each one. Um, for Nick Dawkins, shout out to Parkland, shout out to Lehigh Valley. That's been an area that's given Penn State some really great players, you know, whether that be Saquon or Jahan. Um, so that's great to see them get another one uh, from my from my neck of the woods. Uh, he really has no idea what he's doing, uh, but he plays really hard. He, he's a strong run blocker just because he's so physical. Um, but the pass blocking needs some work. But there's a lot of potential there. Um, is it Fashanu? Fashanu? Olu Fashanu? Fashanu? Uh, I think Olu Fashanu, but I don't know for sure. Okay. Uh, he's more power than anything else. He, he's definitely like, like a left tackle, just uh, the bodyguard type, someone who you can just put at one end of your offensive line he could be he could be a really great anchor there uh jimmy christ might be the actual size of the christ the redeemer statue he's so big <laughs> he's so big and he wants to fight you he played his highlight tape just has him just like push like you've seen the longest yard where, where michael Ward just pushes a dude over a bench that's the blind side. The longest yard is the Adam oh, Sandler one. Oh, yeah. Well, close enough. You, yeah, the blind side. You've well, seen that. the longest right? yard has Bob Sapp in it, and Bob Sapp could kick the hell out of me and everyone else who has ever lived. So, yeah. So very sure. similar. Very we'll go, similar. We'll, we will go with Bob Sapp for this one. <laughs> I like that comparison. There, there's legitimately a play where he, where Jimmy Christ blocks a dude into the bench. It's really funny. Uh, he's, he's a great athlete. It, it's really easy to see him being able to pull. He looks for contact. I, I think that's a really great get. Um, golden Israel Achumba, uh, he plays low. He understands where his power comes from. Um, he went to DeMatha, correct? So he, he's a guy who came from a program that knows how to develop high level prospects. Um, I touched on Dawkins, um, ba, 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 ba. 
Troy, he's a good athlete, but he, he, he definitely has no idea what he's doing yet. He's a project. He's the kind of guy that we've seen Penn State take these kind of guys in the past, whether that be, you know, like a Sterling Jenkins type or an Alex Gellerstedt, uh, a guy who you know has a lot of potential just, just by nature of his body size and his high school tape. Um, but he, it's going to take some time, I think, before he's really ready to see the field. So a, a lot of potential, I guess, is the word for this position group. But to go out there and get a bunch of different guys with a bunch of different strengths, I think, was really a high priority. And um, now with new coach Phil Troutwine in there to develop them, I think he can do a really great job of because he did it at Boston College. He identified mm-hmm. what was perceived as a little bit lower level talent and turned them into some pretty good players. So I think this is the perfect fit for his first class here. And I don't know if you saw this the other day, but a friend of the site, Sean Fitz, tweeted out a video uh, just talking about Triore uh, of him doing a 48-inch box jump. So obviously if you are a, uh offensive lineman, you don't necessarily have to have ups like that. Uh, but if you are going, you, you know, you want to be able to see that kind of athleticism uh, evident in your offensive in, in really any position and having a guy that good of an athlete is something that you know knock on wood it translates into something uh, really impressive also uh, if you want to win if you want to win the Peisman trophy you better show off some that athleticism that, that's a that good place correct. to start do you know uh why Nick Dawkins father Daryl holds such a special place in my heart um well you're from New Jersey and I know he he lived in Allentown for a while. Did you go to like one of his basketball camps? Cuz no, I did. No, I did oh. not. Why? Uh because he what what was Daryl Dawkins' nickname? Do you remember what his um Yeah, Chocolate Thunder. He was Chocolate Thunder. Do you know who gave him that nickname? Oh god. If you say it's you, I'm going to laugh because I know it wasn't, but that has just been really funny. No, I, I I did not give uh <laughs> no, Daryl Dawkins who came into the NBA in 1975, which was uh, 17 years before I was born, the nickname Chalk with Thunder. That nickname was given to him by, by one... Ugandan, Ugandan warlord Joseph Coney. By one Stevie Wonder. And no way! As such, Daryl Dawkins, prior to his passing, was uh, had, had gone on record saying that Stevie Wonder had the gift of sight because how would he know that he's Chocolate Thunder if he can't see? No way. That's a fake story. 100% serious. I will DM it to you momentarily. What? That's my favorite story in the world. Yes, it's it's a good one. It is part what? of the reason why I'm so happy uh, that's, <laughs> that Daryl Dawkins' son is coming to Penn State. Uh, so, yeah, that's it for Penn State's offensive recruiting class. Like, I'm optimistic about it. Like, I think that at the positions where they needed to kind of shore some stuff up, uh, offensive line because you always have to and right, wide receiver because they absolutely needed to. They went out and they just got a bunch of talent and at the at running back and tight end they bolstered some really good rooms and quarterback is a bit of a crapshoot. Like I can't think of any major concerns that I have with this class outside of you know it lacks a little bit more of that top end talent uh, along the offensive line and the quarterback but a- anything really sticking out? Any final thoughts on this class before we move on to uh, more of the news of the day. Not if this is what you define as a down class, then Penn State's in a great spot recruiting wise. And I'll kind of just leave it at that. It, it, there's a lot of talent here, and a lot of talent that can contribute immediately, and a lot of talent that 
I think we're going to see the fruits of this of this class come together in a couple of years, which is really what you want out of any out of any class in general. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a uh, yeah, that, that is all for talking about recruiting. Let's get on to discussing, like we mentioned, some more news uh, that's recent to the Penn State pipeline. Uh, get some reactions from that. First up, uh, it happened a day or two or three ago. Uh, news that Sean Spencer is leaving Penn State to take a job with uh, the New York Giants. Uh, I believe is their defensive line coach. I don't recall if it was uh, if his specific role has been given, but I think it's a tough pill to swallow, Matt. Uh, I think Spencer, in addition to what he did as a coach, I think he was just kind of the right kind. You know, he was a personality that I think was really good to have around the program. But if there is any good news is that whomever takes over for him and invariably we are going to uh, learn who takes over for him after this podcast, like a minute after this podcast publishes, they're going to be walking to an absolutely stacked room that really mixes talent and potential uh, and makes this a really, really intriguing defensive line coach job. Yeah, uh, first of all, it stinks to lose Sean Spencer. Uh, I think we're down to just two or three guys left from Frank Wint's original staff that followed him from Vandy. Uh, he, he was great for the program. To, to follow in the footsteps of, of Larry Johnson, arguably the best defensive line coach college football's ever seen, and to kind of carve out his own place in Penn State football history j- just from being such an exciting figure, a great recruiter, somebody the fans loved, somebody the players loved. That's a big loss. Um, but I do remember him saying a few years back that he would love to be a head coach one day. And to do that, you have to move up the ranks. And even though he's probably st- – again, his, his official title wasn't released yet, but we're assuming he's going to be the defensive line coach for the Giants – that's a step up to, to go to the pros. And then, you know, who knows, maybe he'll come back one day you know, to the college ranks as a, as a coordinator and maybe eventually become a head coach. But th- that's a tough pill to swallow. But but just great for Sean Spencer, a great dude, one, one of my favorite people to talk to on the coaching staff and wish him nothing but the best. Um, but whoever does land this job is coming to a very stacked position group, both at tackle and end. Shaka Tony's back. Jason Oway looks like a breakout star. You have PJ Mustafer. You have Antonio Shelton, the fifth-year senior in the heart and soul of this of this defensive line, and maybe even defense in general. And then you're loaded with blue chip talent in the two deep. It's a very attractive job for a lot of different reasons. So it, it's really easy to see them go either route here. They could go for an older, more experienced guy who, who thinks he can really help take Penn State to the next level. Or it's really easy to see them go after a young recruiter type who, who can really has a track record of developing guys to come in and really carry the torch. It's going to be a tough act to follow, but Franklin's really only hit home runs and hirings uh, uh, by at large. So it's a really attractive job, and it's easy to see why a lot of people would want it. Yeah, well, if this, it seems like uh, the name that had been tossed around – uh, for Penn State, for this to potentially take this position, uh, Elijah Robinson, former Penn State player, currently at Texas A&M, doesn't seem like he is going to be taking the position. So, uh, you know, James Franklin's going to be out looking around for someone who can s- step in and, you know, 
live up to what has been pretty high expectations uh, at that position because of the work that Spencer's been able to do over the years. Uh, before we move on to the next bit of news, I do just want to tell one Sean Spencer story. Uh, Penn State Media Day 2016, uh, obviously the 2016 team ended up doing thing, you know, being my favorite Penn State team ever. I'm sure it's the favorite Penn State team for a whole generation of Nittany Lion fans. But as a lot of you may remember, one of the big question marks that team faced entering the season was how it was going to replace uh, Austin Johnson, Anthony Zettel, and uh, why can I not remember? Like, this is embarrassing. I, Carl Nassib. Carl Nassib. You know, of course, it was Carl Nassib, the best defensive end of the country. How it was going to replace those three guys along its defense? Three guys who I believe were you know, uh, first three-round NFL draft pick type dudes. And that that was just kind of the buzz all off. Like, that was one of the big questions in addition to, you know, whether or not James Franklin was going to be the man to uh, get the job done at Penn State. And I was at Media Day, and I was – I don't even remember who I was going to talk to, but I was walking past the defensive uh, the defensive coach, the, the defensive line. And, uh, as Matt will attest, what they do is they break everyone down by position – uh, and just give them like a yard line off to the side to stand on. And I'm walking past the defensive line, line, and someone asked basically that question to Spencer. And I stopped just to hear him, hear whatever he was going to say. And then for maybe the next like three minutes, he just goes televangelist on whoever said that. Asked that like literally in a one-on-one question about how it's about belief and how everyone – like, if these guys don't believe in me, they're not going to believe this. Blah. At that moment, I knew that Penn State's defensive line was going to be fantastic because he is just a guy who instills that kind of faith into their players. And I think more than the production that he provides, that's the thing that's going to be missed. He just instilled a level of belief in his players that made it so, you know, trained in the art of chaos, wild dogs, all that stuff is silly, but it also worked and it you know, the proof is in the pudding with what we saw at Penn State's defensive line during his tenure. What other bit of news that we are going to discuss on the football uh, side of things is Ricky Slade uh, was announced today he's going to enter the transfer portal. Usual disclaimer, this does not necessarily mean that Ricky Slade is leaving Penn State, just that he's going to be exploring his options. Uh, but all things considered, Matt, like I don't think either of us are really... St- like, even though he seemed like he was ready to stay this all season. I don't think any of us are particularly stunned that he's going to be looking around considering how things went for him last year. No, not at all. I, I really like Ricky Slade. I think he kind of ended up in the doghouse because of those early fumble problems that he had. And I think if he would have had the opportunity to work through it, he could have turned into something really, really special. And he still could, uh, whether it's here at the next at his next stop. Um, but Penn State's in a really good spot with that position. Um, wish him the best. If he does come back, I think he can have a really nice role as a pass catcher just because I think he's the most talented pass catching back and Penn State needs help um, with guys who can catch. So I, I'm curious to see what what his next steps are, but not really a surprise. I think something Penn State can afford and a really beneficial move for both parties if, if he decides to to leave Penn State. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be there's going to be a role for him if he does come back. Uh, but, you know, if he doesn't come back, all the best to him. This is 
it, uh, it's really hard, I think, to come back from being the bang on starter, which it seemed like he was going to be last year, uh, to getting relegated down the depth chart. Some freshmen looking like, you know, you can take Journey Brown uh, winning the starting job over you, I, I think, pretty easily. Uh, but the fact that a couple of freshmen ended up really cutting into his snaps, like I get why he wants to look around. Again, there's a role for him. Uh, I've seen plenty of Penn State fans say they'd love to see him at slot receiver, and I don't necessarily disagree with that if he were to come back. But regardless, all the best to him. Wherever he goes, he's going to he, he's gonna play some really, really good football somewhere. And He whatever, gave me my yeah. favorite he gave me my favorite thing to tweet was the, was the team Slade. Slade. So <laughs> shout out to Ricky Slade for that. Cause I absolutely love any chance I got to tweet those. So did, like, I didn't even watch team Titans and I just really enjoyed that. Uh, any final football things before we get on to the, the main event of the evening? No, nothing major. Um, you know, spring ball, spring practice probably starting up pretty soon. We're probably going to have roster numbers soon and all those fun changes. So, you know, enjoy, enjoy the, the low of the offseason for football right now because we are about to heat up in the Penn State basketball world. The, we're not about to heat up in the Penn State basketball world. Uh, pe- the Penn State basketball world's on fire right now. Uh, the Nittany Lions are the hottest team in the Big Ten, currently sitting at 17-5 and in the season, 7-4 and in conference play, riding high on a five-game winning streak after... It's recent three-game losing streak. Uh, the thing that Matt and I talked about a little bit before the podcast was that Iowa, uh, you know, got beaten like they stole something by Purdue. They were one spot ahead of Penn State and Ken Palm. Nittany Lions, as such, have moved up to 13 in Ken Palm, the highest ranking in program history. Uh, we're doing this pod one night after. Heck yes. One night after Penn State went into Breslin Center and took down a very, very good Michigan State team. Uh I don't even know where to begin with this team, Matt, other than the fact fact that like they are playing with a confidence and an energy and a, a relentlessness and, to quote Brett Brown, a spirit that I haven't seen out of them since that NIT run a few years ago. And right now, if that like I don't know, like I have plenty of takes about that NIT team. Uh, but this Penn State team, it might be the best one that I've seen. Okay, so full disclosure, I missed the game last night because I was at Trivia Night. And shockingly, an Irish pub does not have the Big Ten Network in Central Florida. Who would have guessed? I missed it. Um, I also got a question wrong. Bill, how many Jaws movies are there? Hmm, six. There's four. I didn't know that. I thought there was like three. Well, then I thought there was I thought there was two because I remember I thought the third one was just in Back to the Future when he goes back, gets eaten by the hologram. Long story short, I got the question wrong and we came in like ninth place out of like 10 teams. It was really sad. There's a stand up bit about uh, Jaws for the Revenge that I'm going to try and find and I'll I'll watch this later. But yeah, I knew there were four. I just didn't know if they made any additional uh, Jaws's. Yeah, no, I didn't know that. So I, I missed the game, but I, I did listen because uh, I'm old and I have like an app on my phone that was listening to the radio. So I listened to the, I listened to it on like local radio on, on my way back from the bar. Um, but it sounded like Penn State really went in there and out Michigan State, Michigan State at Michigan State. They, they they played some phenomenal defense. They got really high percentage shots. 
Lamar Stevens is the man. Myron Jones is also the man. And for them to, to, to turn it around after what looked like the beginning of the end uh, back in January to really get on their first five game conference winning streak it, it, since they since they joined the Big Ten is huge. And, and they have a lot of really great opportunities to keep on building that resume and climbing the Big Ten standings. It wouldn't be insane for you to think that Penn State could win the Big Ten regular season title. They they're within shouting distance, which is the crazy thing. Like, I, I don't necessarily think they will. They're current. I mean, they're at seven and four, top of the conference. They're a game back at the top of the conference. Maryland. Uh, and Illinois are up there. They do not play Maryland again. They get Illinois at the Bryce Jordan Center uh, on February 18th. But yeah, I mean, last night's game, the shot making that we saw out of Myron Jones, who six for eight from three, uh, you, you know, made a couple of heat checks. Looked like he was in pretty good control of the game mixed with, uh, you know, Lamar Stevens doing Lamar stuff. It wasn't the most efficient night that you're going to see, but he played bully ball, left it all on the floor for his 39 minutes out there. Jamari Wheeler uh, still has his problem. Like, I don't know how much I necessarily will trust uh, Jamari to always make the right play, but he did an outstanding job making Cassius Winston's life hell. John Hara fought, Mike Watkins fought. Uh, you got good minutes out of the bench out of Miles Dredd, uh, Curtis Jones, and Isaiah Brockington. Like this team is deep. This team is confident, and this team is at a point where it's weird. You go into every Penn State game, or you have gone into every Penn State game over the past couple of years thinking that they could win any game, but knowing that it's an uphill battle. Well, now you go into every Penn State game thinking they could win it because they are just the better basketball team a lot of the time. Like They've beaten an Ohio State team that's had an admittedly very weird year. They've beaten Iowa playing the kind of game that Iowa wants. They took down Maryland, uh, beat Michigan State. They, you know, Syracuse has played... Uh, pretty well, you know, a couple of losses recently, but they had a pretty nice stretch in January. Everything is just kind of coming together for Penn State right now. I don't think it's necessarily a case of they're peaking too early. Like, I don't think they're going to suddenly crash and burn to end the year, but there's still, ro- there's still room for them to get better. They can get better from three. They can get a little more reliable at the three, at the free throw line, but they're basically doing Matt Everything that you, this team is basically the platonic ideal of what I think a Pat Chambers basketball team is in that they're defending like crazy. They're turning opponents over at a really, you know, not as crazy of a rate as they were earlier this year, but a pretty good rate. And on offense, they're able to get from their top, you know, they get what they can from Lamar Myron every night. You can more or less expect that's going to happen. Mike gives you what Mike gives you. And then there's depth. Like, everything is just coming together for this Penn State team. And I, like, outside of the three-point shooting, I can't think of really many gigantic holes for them. 
Miles Dredd is, is starting to hit some threes at a pretty good pace now a- after a really, really rough start. He's it hasn't been, you know, what we expect of him, but it looks like he's finally starting to turn that corner, uh, which is going to go such a long way. Uh, Curtis Jones, it, it, he's a really great option from there. You know, Myron's always going to hit his shots from deep. There's just a lot of really strong options from three that just can't get them to fall right now. And eventually they're going to have a moment where it all clicks and, and Penn State's going to go for over 100 against some poor team. It's probably going to be Northwestern. Yeah, it's and this is a. I'm actually, I, I know he's only hitting 30% of his threes this year. I'm actually, I've enjoyed watching Miles Dredd this season. He doesn't turn the ball over. Uh, he's a really smart passer. He competes on defense. Uh, you know, not the best rebounder on earth, but he does so much stuff that I'm fine with him. I mean, we all, we all know shooting so, uh, such a big part of it. You need to see a few go through and you need to be able to get into a rhythm. And it seems like he's inching closer and closer to getting into the rhythm that he has to get to. But yeah, like I'm kind of taken aback by this team and I want to give all credit to Eric for a point that he made in recent years. Yeah. January has been a problem. Pat Chambers teams, and it's been kind of made fun of as you know, how he saved his job. Blah, 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 blah. His teams the last couple of years have peaked once they've gotten to February. Like, those are when we've seen the best versions of Penn State teams. And I think that it's very, very possible that we see with the way this schedule opens up, Matt, I think that it's not crazy to see, you know, Penn State playing its best basketball over the next month or so of the year heading into the Big Ten tournament and increasingly more likely March Madness. Bill, let's get crazy here. Are you ready for are you ready for what I'm about, what I'm about to ask you? Nope, but hit me anyway. Okay. Penn State could win the Big 10 regular season title. Fair or not fair? Um I'll say a little unfair just because like it, it's a five game winning streak now. I Ask me again after that trip to Purdue. If they're okay. able to, if they beat Minnesota and then they beat Purdue, Northwestern and Illinois, they can win. Like, they can conceivably win every game the rest of the way. And it's hard to see them doing that. Um, you know, college basketball is just a very weird sport, but there is a, I mean, there is, yes, I will say there is a path to them being able to do that. Okay. The Big Ten, by every metric, is the nation's toughest conference, true or false? Yeah. Is it insane? I know it is, because I'm I'm already laughing thinking about it. If Penn State wins the Big Ten, which is the nation's top conference, can you view them as a legitimate Final Four threat, the top team from the nation's top conference? Um. I will say what I always say uh, when this is posed to me, which is that I would want to see where who they're playing, where they're playing, and what their path would be before I get to that. Like, do multiple people ask you if Penn State's a Final Four team? No, just any you know at this point any team being a Final Four team, that kind of thing. But are um, they a threat? There's always you know there every Duke is viewed as a threat to the Final Four. Kansas, it let's say Selection Sunday, they win the Big Ten. And they're the top team in the top conference. Is that 
unreasonable for somebody to say, I think Penn State could make the final four of the NCAA basketball tournament. I think they're 13 in a 13 in Ken Palm, 12 in Torvik. Like, like I, I think it's a bit insane just because that's a, that, that's a tall task, but they're, you know, going on uh, Torvik's 20 cast, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, seven, eight, seven eight, twelve. There are only 12 other teams with better Final Four odds than Penn State has, or a better Final Four percentage uh, in his various simulations than Penn State has. So, like, you know, again, My like, th- a lot of things would have to go their way, but sure, like, perhaps they can figure something out. My thing is, if it was Michigan State in this position, I think it's all it's all the brand name. If it was Michigan State who, who just won the best conference, I think they'd be looked at by the outside as a Final Four contender. Again, I don't think that's going to happen, but this is legitimately the only time I can remember or I've been able to pose this question, and I, I think I would hate myself if I didn't just put it out there. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, what's What's kind of the big... In, you know, however many games you've been able to watch the team, what's the big thing above everything else that sticks out about them in your eyes? They have depth. They ha- they just have a, they have a bench. That, that's literally – Isaiah Brockington is the second best player on 95% of Penn State basketball teams in history, and he comes off the bench. There's just so much deep talent at, at, at both guard and in the front court that I think this team – with the way the schedule shakes out is a legitimate threat in the big 10. Again, I do not think they're going to make the final four. I want to put that out there. I do not think that's going to happen, but it is fun to theorize that hypothetically. Yeah, that could happen. I I think it's just that Pat has built a roster and he hit the transfer market as well as anybody in the country has. And he has the pieces finally to have his perfect roster roster. Excuse me. I, I think I agree with that. I mean, for me, it's that it's it, it can be a bit of a defining characteristic of Penn State teams that taking a punch is not necessarily something they do all that well. Uh, and this team has taken a whole lot of punches over the over the year. Like the loss to Ohio State, I don't think you know it's a bit fluky. Lamar fouls out when he fouls out. Ohio State's able to pounce on them, and that's when Ohio State was playing like the best team in the country. Like Ohio state was number two in Ken Palm during that game. Uh, they fallen back to earth a little bit, but neither here nor there. So you look at their losses, Ole Miss total, total freak loss. Uh, that wasn't indicative of their season. Rutgers, they competed, they fought, you know, they just ran out of gas against a really good Rutgers team, Wisconsin. They just got they got Wisconsin in that game. I, I hate chalking it up to that, but that happened. And then Minnesota, you know, Minnesota got an NBA performance uh, out of Marcus Carr and Daniel Oturu. So that happens. And then you look at some of their wins. They were able to gut out a win against a Yale team that is currently number 46 in Ken Palm. They beat the brakes off of Georgetown, which is 52 in Ken Palm, Syracuse, which is 53 in Ken Palm. They were able to hold off Maryland. They were able to come back against Alabama. They were able to hold off Iowa. They were able to pick up wins against Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, which are all top 30 programs in Ken Palm, and a number 41 team in Ken Palm, Indiana. This team is just resilient in a way that I've never seen out of a Penn State team. And 
it just seems like the sky's the limit. Like, it legitimately seems like this team, whomever gets them in their region is going to sigh and groan and be upset because this is not a team that anyone's going to want to play. And on the off chance anyone is still listening to this, and on the off, off, off chance that any students are listening to this, there are one, two, three, there are five home games this year. All I ever wanted when I was a student was to be able to go to one Penn State basketball game that mattered, and I never really got that chance. So for the love of God, go watch this team play basketball. Because if there's one thing that we know about Penn State, it's that these kinds of years are lightning in a bottle. They're not dime a dozen. When this happens, it's really, really special, and you should respond by accepting the fact that it's really, really special. Uh, I'm good to tie a bow on this episode, Matt. Are you good? Yeah, well said. Go to the games. Um, go win the Big Ten. Go win the Big Ten. Like that. If that's not a, a rallying cry that every Penn State fan can get behind, I don't know what is. Uh, but yeah, that's it for this edition of Roar Lions Radio. As always, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all, the var- all, all our various podcasting platforms. Uh, if you head on to Apple Podcasts, make sure you're subscribing. Give us a five-star review over there. Make sure you follow us on our various social media channels. Uh, on our race to 10,000 Twitter followers, we are at 9,474, so please help us out there. Keep reading the site. Keep supporting the site by buying some shirts. And, of course, uh, one last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For my co-host, Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.